Welcome to Please Bet on Football Games. All right, howdy. I'm Joe. Most of my number is BMAD or B-M-A-D-F-T-S, the keeper of the real. These are my Twitter names. And this is my podcast. For now, it's called Please Bet on Football Games. So as some of you guys are surely familiar with, I have two go-to rebuttals when people bring bullshit to my doorstep on Twitter. The first one is when people challenge what I have to say and they want to nitpick and yada yada. And there's just no way to really find out what the God's truth is. So I tell them, please, bet on football games. And I know that in the end, one, we'll figure out who's right. And two, they're going to keep that line nice and soft for me, which I like. The other one is when people try to throw stats at me. Regardless of how advanced, most people aren't capable of comprehending, much less computing or inventing, advanced enough algorithms to be truly parallel to what you can see on video. So my rebuttal is, please just watch football games. Because there's really nothing to discuss if one of us looks at a number with no context, and one of us has watched 750 snaps of this guy's season and graded every single one of them individually. Another thing you guys might know is that I'm a lawyer and I'm not a litigator, but if I brought a video of a dude stealing something into court and played the video, it's a lot more effective than a written statement from a witness saying that he stole some shit. All this to say, the best way to understand football is to watch football. And the best way to test your understanding of football is to bet on football games. I bet on football games pretty often with pretty large sums, and I do pretty okay. And by pretty okay, we're talking a 16% ROI on average over each of the last five years when it comes to the NFL, ROI being return on investment. That means if I bet a dollar, I expect a dollar sixteen back every single time. Last year, I hit 56% on football. I've never hit below 53. I've been doing this since 2016, and now I'm doing a podcast. Today's episode, the first episode, is going to be a please watch football games episode just because I can't really bet on the preseason the same way I do on the regular season. There's not as much to talk about. It's purely figuring out who has a deeper quarterback rotation and which coach gives a fuck. A lot of that is figuring out where the sharp money's going and following injury reports throughout the week. So the preseason's going to be kind of light on betting info. It'll be heavy on evaluation, and evaluation is how you win your bets. So for today's episode, I went through all of the rookie quarterbacks of interest. We're going to go through Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Davis Mills, Justin Fields, and even Jacob Eason. I didn't forget Trey Lance and Kellen Mond. I just wish I did. Now, please bear with me as I record this in my bathroom of my apartment in L.A. Please bear with me as the editing will probably suck, but this is a test run. Now, depending on how much time I find for this, I would kind of like to do two podcasts a week, an early week podcast called Watch Football Games, where I break down some of the things I saw the past weekend, and then a later week pod called Please Bet on Football Games, where I get into what actual picks I'll be making. And I'm in conversations. I may or may not have a co-host for this, who is my partner in crime, my best friend since the first day of college, who I at least bounce all of my ideas off of because I'm not always that sane and he always is. So without further ado, let's get to the choppily recorded evaluations of young quarterbacks. The first quarterback that I watched this weekend was Mac Jones just because of chronology. That's how time works. 
Um, no, I haven't watched the All-22, and no, there won't be any All-22 for the preseason, but no, I don't really think it's that necessary. We can get into that later, but let's start off with what I thought of Mac Jones coming out, my evaluation of him at Alabama. Uh, I think the perfect way to summarize his game is that he transcends nothing. Mac Jones will give your offense exactly what you deserve, exactly what you earn with your scheme and with your skill. Uh, he's got a very accurate deep ball, uh, probably the most accurate deep ball thrower in this draft. Of like, really, it's an A-plus deep ball accuracy. The problem is it doesn't get that deep because his arm is a fucking noodle. Uh, and he kind of showed that in this game. I expected him to have a weak arm, and he did have that one dime down the left sideline in the end zone to number 17, who his name escapes me. He's a reserve player. I don't care. His arm was never going to be strong, though. And it didn't look that strong in this game. He missed a couple throws just because he doesn't have the, the arm strength to get it there when his base isn't set. He seems pretty smart, but the Patriots asked him to do very little. They got the ball out of his hand extremely quick. They leveraged screens. They leveraged dump-offs. And he didn't. I mean, he's never going to be able to attack that second level consistently or very well. But they didn't even try. Um... I know that a lot of Patriots fans are really excited about him, and I would be too if I just watched Cam Newton for an entire season last year. But if you expect him to be your savior, you're in for a world of trouble. I think the Patriots should start Mac Jones right now anyways, just because A, you need to know what Mac Jones is to move forward, and B, I think he's already better than Cam Newton. But I don't think that the Patriots should have very high hopes for their season, in large part just because I don't think they have the quarterback. I think that Mac Jones, at best, gets you to about seven wins, and that's with a couple minor miracles. And I think that hoping for the playoffs is a fucking fool's errand right now. I gave Mac a C on the day, which is fairly good compared to the other rookies. We'll get to that, and it's not a very happy scene. But I was unimpressed which is exactly what I expected from Mac Jones. Just, he transcends nothing. He's somewhere between A.J. McCarron and Alex Smith, and no, that's not the widest distribution. One criticism that I had of his game this weekend was that he wasn't facing the Redskins' stalwart defensive linemen. He was facing second and third stringers, and he still panicked at the specter of pressure. Now, I say the specter of pressure because he wasn't being pressured when he was panicking. Instead, he was panicking at signs that pressure might be coming. One play that really exemplified this in my book is the third and two when he's actually maneuvering the pocket fairly well, and then he sees that there could be a sign of pressure, so he quote-unquote takes off, because believe it or not, Mac Jones didn't have a positive run in this game. Uh, he's got a wide open field, he's got an open receiver for a check down, and... <laughs> Instead, he runs a half a step before sliding, and yeah, okay, if this was a regular season game and Belichick gave two shits about the outcome, he would have challenged and probably reversed the call, gotten the first down, and it would have been no big deal. But to see Mac Jones start to be inaccurate on other plays and slide so early, bail from a pocket so quickly, it kind of showed, it was important of things to come. And I'm not hopeful for what he can be, especially if he ever gets rushed. His arm looked noticeably weak. Again, he had that gorgeous deep ball, but it was, what, 35 yards downfield? He's never going to be able to attack the second level, and that's just what it is. You're hoping he can be a Joe Burrow. 
and I wouldn't be thrilled with that. But hey, let's move on. Let's talk about Trevor Lawrence, the golden boy. So, yeah, he was my QB1 coming into this draft. Not so much because he's my favorite. That would be Davis Mills, uh, all things considered. But he's pretty safe. Uh, I, I think he's Andrew Luck, and I think that's where his upside lies. That being said, let's all take a step back and remember that Andrew Luck was being cons- compared to people like John Elway and Dan Marino as just a can't-miss insane talent. And I don't think he came even fucking close to that. I, I, I don't think that's a hot take. While I wouldn't say that I'm a skeptic of Trevor Lawrence, like somebody like uh, R.J. Bell from The Dream Preview and Straight Out of Vegas, shout out, I would say that I'm a little less high than the, uh, the average analyst. I don't think he's going to be some star. I think he'll be a fringe top 10 quarterback who's solid and there's nothing he can't do. You know, he's got a good arm, not a great arm. You know, it's, it's fine. It, it's, a, it's a little better than fine, but it's not great. It's definitely not special. He's fi- fairly accurate. He's fairly mobile. He's big and he's relatively strong. But he's not Cam Newton, and he thinks he is, and that's probably going to get him hurt. Um, either way, this game isn't... You shouldn't judge Trevor Lawrence off of this game, and you probably shouldn't judge Trevor Lawrence off of this season. Because the first thing that you notice when you watch the tape is, holy fucking shit, Urban Meyer is in over his head. There was one play where Trevor Lawrence was sacked, and I didn't count this sack against him because, I'm not joking, it was a one-man play. It was play action. There was a tight end running sort of a drag crosser, but it was more of a fake so that he could screen block while doing this. The only real target on the play was a streak down the right sideline. Believe it or not, the Browns' defense covered this singular fucking receiver that was going out for a pattern, and Lawrence had nothing to do but take the sack. It's, it was really incredibly bad. So yes, Trevor Lawrence did cause a couple sacks of his own, and he did fumble. But he did have one nice ball to Marvin Jones. It was kind of a jump ball, kind of a back shoulder throw. 20 yards downfield. You got Marvin Jones on Greg Newsom, the rookie out of Northwestern. Newsom got totally lost. You know, he was in the right position, but he just did not know how to play the ball. Lawrence puts it up there, and Marvin Jones goes up. He has to turn around, which is why I say it's a little bit of a back shoulder. He goes up and gets the ball. He lands. He gets a few more yards. It was a nice... 20-yard ball, good for about a 25-yard completion. That was a great play. I'll give it to him. But he wasn't asked to do very much, and he wasn't asked to play for very long. So I think the fair thing to do is just give Trevor Lawrence a pass and wait until we get to see him with starters against starters. However, I will say this was not encouraging. I gave his performance an F, despite the fact that it was a very small sample size, and he's so clearly being handicapped by his coach. Uh, just a little, uh, word to the wise, we might want to fade the living fucking shit out of the Jaguars all season, even though they suck. And they sucked last year. Because I don't think they got better. I think they are a worse coach team today than they were last year. And I don't think that the upgrade at quarterback, and it is an upgrade, is significant enough. Side note, shout out to Mike Lombardi and Colin Cowherd for their bullshit fucking takes that Gardner Minshew, of all people, is about the same quarterback as Baker Mayfield. 
Gardner Minshew couldn't move the ball in the Browns' third-string defense. Gardner Minshew struggled mightily to move the ball, not score, move the ball on the Browns' third-string defense. And yes, I may be a little bit jaded and a little bit cynical because I had money on the Jaguars winning money line, but Christ almighty, if you can't move the ball against a third-string defense in the preseason, you're probably not a top-20 quarterback in the NFL. Probably. Just, you know, a guess. All right, next we're going to move on to Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson, quarterback of the New York Jets. The new punky QB out of BYU with his headband and all. Looking like a samurai or some shit. Maybe a sushi chef. Uh, the Jets were really protective of him. Now, I think it's actually very indicative that Robert Sala is a notoriously uh, political coach. He knows how to play the PR game. He knows how to shape public opinion. There's a reason he's constantly in pro football talk articles, right? Like, Mike Lombardi is usually a horse's ass, so I hate giving him credit. But fuck, did he nail it when he said that Robert Sala's always looking out for his public-facing you know, persona. I don't think it's a coincidence that the Jets are playing at quote-unquote home against the Giants, so it's at the same fucking stadium one way or another. They're playing at MetLife against their rival, and Zach Wilson was asked to do almost nothing. Almost everything he did was a pedestrian-type play, lots of little, you know, bullshit, curls, slants, drags, crossers, what have you. Very Kyle Shanahan-esque. I think this Jets offense is going to be just an, a watered-down version of what the Browns, the Bengals, and the 49ers run. And I think it'll be fine. And I think Zach Wilson's going to struggle, and I think he's going to turn the ball over a lot because he thinks a little bit more of his arm than he probably should, which will happen when you're coming from BYU where, compared to the independent conference schedule you faced in a covid year made of stragglers like massachusetts yeah he was a fucking killer his arm talent was obscene compared to those players but compared to nfl players it's okay it's good it's not great and we've already seen in one of his 10 throws that he made against mostly backups and fringe starters he put the ball in harm's way you know, yeah, he hit all these little drags and such, as he should, but there was one where he tried to attack the second level on a on an in, you know, like a slant in, not a very clean route, but he put the ball into double coverage, and a pro DB picks that fucker off every time, because Zach Wilson missed into that coverage, too. If you throw in a double coverage and you miss, eight times out of ten, it's going the other way, and in this case... The defensive back, I think it was a safety coming across, just didn't notice the ball right in front of his face. In fact, you know, he like grabbed his face mask and clapped himself because he didn't pick it off. But it's going to be a rough fucking ride for him. I, I don't think the Jets win their first four games. I think there's a really good chance they go 0-6, depending on how they play the Patriots. And if he's 0-6 in New York City, with that media bearing down on him, spoiled little rich kid who had everything served up to him at BYU, little Mormon kid, sheltered as you could all imagine. <sighs> I mean, that would be a tough, that'd be a tough draw for a, a, a mentally tough quarterback. Is Zach Wilson going to be one? I don't know. We'll see. You know, I'm not here to play psychologist and judge based on that but i'd say i'm not optimistic 
especially after what I've seen in camp and what I saw yesterday, which is they don't trust him to do too much. They're afraid of scaring him or exposing him. And he's going to float balls into coverage. He's just going to. Like Trevor Lawrence, it was such a small sample size and he was asked to do so little that I'm not going to hold it against him entirely, but I will say that this was a D performance. Okay, I'm a little giddy because now I get to break down Davis Mills, who is my boy. Now, no, I'm not as high on Davis Mills as I was on a guy like Justin Herbert or Baker Mayfield for that matter, but I think that he, like Jacob Eason, has insane value. What I love about Mills is that he was a five-star quarterback with almost no blemishes on his scouting report, who just got the rawest possible deal in college. First of all, I gotta blame Mills for this. He picked Stanford with David Shaw's dumbass. David Shaw is like if Mike Rabel was trying to milk the clock the entire game. It's so conservative, despite always having good quarterbacks. He never does shit with them. I fucking hate David Shaw. Him and Pat Fitzgerald are just constantly vying for who can be the biggest fucking fake tough guy coward in football. It's disgusting, and they ruin so many good quarterback prospects. But I digress. Davis Mills goes to Stanford because he's a smart kid and he can go anywhere he wants. He tears up his fucking knee. He gets stuck behind KJ Costello. He finally gets his shot to, you know, have a blemish-free starting season and COVID hits. And he gets COVID. So everything was just a fucking mess. And I'm never going to hold that mess against the kid. I got to watch about five games of his, and a few things struck me. He's got a great arm. He's a big fucking kid. And he seems to be, tr like, he seems to be on the right track when it comes to processing the game correctly. He seems like he's not there yet, but with a little bit of polish, he can become a smart cerebral quarterback. And that's what it's all about. Uh, that said, this game, there were ups and downs. The first play of the game, I was freaking out because I thought he was really late on his read. He had an open dump off that he passed up on. He bailed from a pocket that was relatively clean. He rolls right. I'm panicking like, you stupid motherfucker. I just roasted Justin Fields for this all day. You can't be doing it to me too now. And then he launches a 45-yard dime to the back of the end zone, hits Anthony Miller in the fucking hands. Falls incomplete, but oh boy, if Anthony Miller had caught that, you guys would all be watching Davis Mills on SportsCenter today. Generally, though, I was really impressed because he made a lot of downfield throws and he was looking to make aggressive plays. And yes, that led to a little bit of antsiness in the pocket. He took a little bit longer to make his reads than I would have always liked. But I'll accept it because he was being aggressive and he was getting more positive plays than most of the other quarterbacks while also avoiding those cheap plays and the negative plays. He had almost twice as many positive plays as he had negative. He had fewer cheap plays than almost any other quarterback I graded this weekend. And he was legitimately attacking the second level. So that was great and I was really impressed. And then he got into the red zone. He had six bad passes, including one of them, which was a terrible interception, and I'm pretty sure all of them happened within 25 yards of the end zone. Uh, he was getting, he was speeding up his processor way too much. He was throwing balls before the route was, you know, developed. Uh, and on the pick, he tried to force the ball in between two defenders into a fucking non-existent window, and believe it or not, you can't put a football through the head of a needle. So the ball went the other way. Just unfortunate, because otherwise it was an amazing game. I gave him a B, which is the highest grade from any of the rookie quarterbacks. And as much as I love Davis Mills, I was shocked at how well he performed. 
especially relative to the others. Uh, yeah, this was against Green Bay's twos and a little bit against their threes, but primarily against their twos. But still, I was really blown away. Uh, he was everything I could have hoped for him to be and more. I guess now it's time to move on to Kellen Mond in Minnesota, the quarterback out of Texas A&M, which is almost exactly the opposite. You see, when I was watching Kellen Mond's tape when he was in college, about two games in, I paused my computer and I said audibly to, I guess, nobody, what the fuck am I doing? This kid holds the ball up at his fucking eyebrows. He looks like a robot. He castrates his arm. He has a strong arm, but he castrates it. The guy is not an NFL quarterback, and he never will be. Sorry, Chris Sims, you missed again. And when I saw his stats in this game against the Broncos, this preseason week one game, I thought, oh my god, Kellen Mond's putting up that line against Denver's third and fourth stringers? <laughs> I fucking nailed it, marking this dude undraftable. Well, I was wrong. He was way better than his stats showed. But he was still bad. Yeah, he got let down. He got let down by drops. His offensive line was not particularly good. It was not particularly serviceable. But he was still bad. He fumbled. He ate sacks. He missed about as many throws as he hit. And he panicked. Now, I'm actually a little bit encouraged to see that he panicked because it shows that he's improvising and he's actually thinking like a human instead of a robot. But it wasn't good. I gave him a D for the performance, and I'll say this. I'm excited to see what he could do with a better supporting cast. I'm kind of hoping that next week the Vikings stick him with the ones instead of Browning, just for, you know, the fuck of it. I want to see. I'm curious. But I don't think Kellen Mond should ever start. I think that the best you can hope is that he becomes a Teddy Bridgewater with a little bit more speed. And I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is any fucking good. And I don't think Kellen Mond can get there. All right, one more before we get to our boy Justin Fields, the Chicago Wunderkind. I say that totally facetiously. Uh, we're going to do Trey Lance, who played against Kansas City's twos and threes. He had that one play that everybody saw on Twitter, I'm sure. The play-action roll left where he throws back right about 45 yards downfield. It's a good 60 air yards from where he threw the ball because he threw from the left hash to the right boundary. It was nice. The wide receiver was pretty fucking open, but it still had to be a decent ball to get all that was yak. Uh, that was great. It was an elite throw. Not a lot of people have the arm talent to make that. The problem is from there it all went downhill. In fact, he actually got worse as the game went on and as he began to play against worse competition. Despite the fact that the 49ers left him some pretty decent wide receivers for his entire performance. Um, he threw two interceptable balls that were dropped, which is exactly what happens to him all the fucking time. Uh, at North Dakota, he's famous for having that one season coming out where... He, he didn't throw any interceptions. Well, I watched all of his games, and he threw like five or six that were just dropped. So eventually, Trey Lance is going to play somebody who's not a Division II caliber defensive back, and they're going to catch the ball when he throws it at their hands. He also had a self-sack where he fumbled as well. Now, to his credit, he did recover it, but I would much rather he didn't sack himself and then fumble. And I'm not going to give him a ton of credit for cleaning up after his own fuck-up. So between the three sacks that were totally on him, the fumble, the two interceptable passes, and the 62% accuracy, true accuracy, adjusted for drops, I was unimpressed. I gave him an F. This game scaled to a full game is one of the worst I've ever seen because if you expand it, 
the dude, like, if you make this a four-quarter performance, it's six to ten turnovers. And yes, I understand that the highs and lows don't usually stay that stable over a longer period of time. But we're grading what we fucking got. Now, generally, his mechanics are fucking awful. Every single thing he does mechanically looks terrible. Not like Kellen Mond, where it's, like, robotic and weird, but just sloppy and long. He's got almost Jameis Winston's throwing motion, but then also weird footwork, and his torso is just never upright. And that might have something to do with why he's so scattershot. He throws a nice tight spiral, and he's got a cannon for an arm, but that ball just goes sideways on him sometimes, like a golf ball that you slice or cut. I don't know what to fucking say about it, but it's not good. I was unimpressed with what Trey Lance did. In fact, I was discouraged because the way people were talking about it on Twitter, I thought, oh shit, maybe he put some shit together while he was sitting out for COVID last year. And by sitting out for COVID, I mean trying to protect his draft stock, which would never be that high again if anybody saw him play live. But alas. All right, as I told you guys earlier, I, uh, I skipped Jacob Eason's game on accident just because I slept in. Um... That's that's a lie. I wish I slept in. Actually, I was just making breakfast and wishing that there was a football game on while there was a football game on with a quarterback that I'm very interested in. Such is life on the West Coast. You want me to say I fucked up? I fucked up. All right, so Jacob Eason. This is a quarterback I was really interested in coming out of college. Uh, you know, he, he was a five-star recruit, went to Georgia, started as a true freshman, looked like the prototype, looked like the next Matt Stafford. Uh, not nearly as productive, but those are the kind of traits that he showed. And then he gets hurt. Jake Fromm comes in, plays the safest version of quarterback you can ever imagine, and naturally, Georgia's defensive head coach fell in love with it because what do we know about most college football coaches? They're fucking cowards. Anyway, Eason transfers back to his home state of Washington. He plays for one year, and it had its ups and downs. Uh, a lot of the time within the same game. He had one game against Oregon where he looked fucking incredible. By the way, for those of you that aren't from the West Coast, apparently if you say Oregon, you're a war criminal. Uh, so you never played Oregon Trail growing up. Apparently it was Oregon. I'm kidding, but not really. One game I'll never forget from Eason is a game against Utah where he was playing lights the fuck out. Out. He was absolutely killing it, and in the third quarter, he had this span of like five clock minutes, uh, maybe three drives, and when I say drives, I don't mean too much, because in these three drives, he threw like two interceptable balls, maybe three, he had a fumble, he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, and in those five minutes on the clock of slumping, he gave away a lead that even when he rebounded and played pretty well to finish the game, he couldn't come back from. So Eason is, and that just really summarizes Eason. He's a roller coaster, but everything is very concentrated. So he has really, really good play when he's in rhythm, and then all of a sudden the fucking wheels will just fall off for no apparent reason, and then he'll just put them right back on and keep cruising. So if you can eliminate those little blips on the radar... You can have a really, really, really good quarterback with awesome traits and just a ton of arm talent and upside. And I figured, look, last year I would have taken him in the second round pretty early in the second round because you're not going to find a quarterback with traits like this with as much polish as this with such a simple flaw. Because, yes, he has this fatal flaw of these super low lows every once in a while that are totally unpredictable, but... 
the kid was 20 and had only really started for a season and a half in two different systems, if you give him a little bit of consistency, you give him a little time to develop, I mean, he's not going to be Joe Burrow's age for another three years. Give him some time. Maybe you can polish him up. And I thought he went to a perfect situation with the Colts. Because Frank Reich is a smart coach who creates excellent structure for his quarterbacks and just makes life easy. And we saw that in his debut in the NFL preseason week one. Now, I know he's not a rookie, but he may as well be because it's the first time he's ever taken a snap in the NFL as far as I know. So without further ado, let's get on to it. Uh, just four general things that stood out to me is one, he stood really tall in the pocket. He was sturdy. He was he didn't give two shits about pressure incoming. So the exact opposite of Mac Jones, where pressure would actually be coming. And Jacob Eason kind of just figured, I'm a good 6364. I'm stocky like a tree trunk. I'll stand through it. Little Big Ben style. Uh, and, and he completed passes through it. He, he absolutely gunned that ball. He's throwing 15, 16-yard plays, and they look like pitches out to the fucking boundary on a curl. It, it was incredible. Like, the ball is just effortlessly exploding out of his hand. I don't know if he has a Mahomes or Josh Allen type arm, but it's close. It's at the top of that second tier. This being said, I do wish that Easton had a quicker release. Uh, this release got him in trouble once and almost a second time, actually. He did eat, he ate two sacks, which not great. But uh, on one of them, the first one, he got stripped and fumbled in his own red zone. And if he had a quicker, tighter release, he could have avoided that. And seeing how strong his arm is, I wouldn't mind if he shortened up his release. Uh, maybe not so much as Jay Cutler, who said, fuck it, I've got a strong arm. I'm literally just going to throw darts like I'm at the bar. Uh, but he he has this big looping release that he does not need because he can throw it from his fucking knees. Uh, and then finally, just he might have been too calm. All this to say, he was accurate on 90.5% of his passes, <laughs> which is insane. Uh, he had almost as high a positive play percentage as Davis Mills. And I gave him the highest grade of any of these rookie, quote-unquote, rookie quarterbacks for the week. He got a straight A. Uh, it, it was really impressive. He had two bad passes on the day. Two. He did have the two sacks that were on him and the fumble, and that's really going to tank his grade. But those things, I think, are easier to clean up than just missing throws. He had an elite throw. He had three great throws. The dude was on, and it was impressive. I would love to see what he could do week one against Seattle because low-key... I don't think I downgrade the Colts at all between him and Carson Wentz. And I'm pretty high on Carson Wentz relative to a lot of people. So if you can get Colts, I don't know, plus three and a half right now or anything better, I would take it if you got the capital to tie up for a month. I really would. I, I love this kid. Now watch in week two, he'll go out and throw a bunch of picks because that's the Jacob Eason experience. But I'm banking on the combination of his talent and Frank Reich's genius and structure to give me something here that at least beats the shitty Seahawks secondary with an edge defender playing safety and Russell Wilson, who I can't trust to throw the ball more than 25 times in a game. All right, I know that I have a way too obnoxiously deep cut on Justin Fields' performance in preseason week one. 
that will either be attached to the end of this pod or in its own separate little thing, where I break down literally every fucking pass he threw and every run he made. Uh, not in depth, but in more depth than is necessary. <laughs> um, but because he's such a hot topic in the streets, I thought I would just give him a cursory overview the way I did some of these other guys. Um, there are two plays that everybody's going to have their underwear in a bunch about, and I'm going to address them real quick. First is the play that he throws to Jesse James. It's a little bit of a corner route, a little bit of a deep crosser where Jesse James falls and the ball is tipped and bounces off of a falling defender's hands. I graded this throw as interceptable because people notice Jesse James tripping, but they don't notice the backup linebacker on the Dolphins 20 yards deep in coverage stumbling and still managing to get a full palm on the ball. The starting linebacker gets a full palm on that ball and then a second palm on that ball and then starts running the other way because it's an interception. Second of all, if this backup linebacker doesn't stumble, he has a good chance at making an interception. And third of all, even without those, he still had enough time and enough reach to play the ball and tip it up to his own teammate who almost caught the ball himself. This is a fucking interception most of the time, and the Bears are really lucky that it wasn't in this very case, even assuming the stumble, even assuming the backup linebacker. Additionally, people are freaking out because Justin Fields is capable of executing a throwback pass that I've seen Jarvis Landry do. Uh, the play-action boot right, throw left about 30 yards downfield maximum to a standing still literally doing a jumping jack Jesse James for a touchdown is good. It ain't great or special. This is literally a read that punters make on fake punts. It's literally a read that wide receivers make on fake end-arounds. It is not a particularly deep pass. It was not particularly well-placed. And Jesse James did stop, turn around, jump, get the ball, land, take a picture of himself, stretch his arms, and then walk into the end zone. Now, am I exaggerating? No fucking shit. But it was not that impressive. It was good. It's nice that he didn't fuck up the play. It's nice that he has the speed and the arm strength requisite to enable his offensive play caller to call such a play. But it's a fucking trick play in the preseason, and it worked. I'm not giving you extra credit because it was, quote, uh, you know, a 50-yard touchdown. It fucking wasn't. Uh, generally, he looked panicked under pressure. He bailed from a lot of clean pockets. The Dolphins didn't have a single quarterback hurry, and yet Justin Fields was out of the pocket six to ten times in this game. I think I counted seven, but, you know, depending on how you define the pocket, it could have been a little more, a little less. He's also going to be turnover prone. That's just a fact of life. He is not accurate enough for his arm's aggressiveness. He fumbled, which, that's great. And something I've noticed on his deep balls is that they totally lack trajectory. I get into this in the other clip, but basically he has the trajectory, the arc on his longer balls of like a Byron Leftwich or a young Ben Roethlisberger. It's flat. And there are lots of quarterbacks who have had this problem, and some of them fix it like Big Ben did, and some of them get by just fine without it, like RG3 did momentarily. But when you throw a flat deep ball, you're allowing defensive backs to get back into plays where your wide receiver has a step on them. If you throw a moon ball like a Russell Wilson or an Aaron Rodgers, these excellent deep ball throwers, you take the defender out of the play entirely and you give your receiver more room to get yards after the catch. So Fields is going to have to really work on his, uh, his touch, as it were, and throwing those rainbow-style balls in order to have an effective deep ball that isn't going the other way because some of the plays that people are looking at as drops or excellent throws 
are going to be picks or pass breakups at the you know at the next level when he's playing against starting NFL defenders. And yes, Allen Robinson helps, but if you're relying on your wide receiver to help you out and steal catches, you're a bad quarterback. You're Josh McCown five, six years ago. That's not good. You can win games, but we're not looking at can the Bears win with Justin Fields. They won with Mitch Trubisky, so they can win with his black clone. The question is, is Justin Fields good? Is Justin Fields worth such a high pick? He's clearly not worth such a high pick. You could have had Davis Mills, who's arguably already significantly better, two rounds later. But I digress. All right, let me know what you guys thought. I say all right way too much, and that's probably how you can tell that a new clip is starting. But I'm just trying this out for the first time. I've never done anything like this before, and I'm doing it solo to start, which is kind of awkward and kind of weird. I also may have missed some topics that you'd like me to discuss, or maybe there were some areas of discussion that you think would be more pertinent than the ones that I went down, but I'm just spitballing here. So please reach out, please criticize, please let me know what you think. Uh, I'd love to polish this thing up, and criticism is the best way to do that. Uh, despite how prickly I get about my football evaluations, because I'm actually doing the legwork with other things, generally everything else, I'm really open to criticism. I think it's the only way to grow. So let me know what you guys think. Let me know if you like this. Let me know if it fucking sucks and I should just spend my time doing something else. I'll go to the beach. It'll be all right. But uh, otherwise, hasta. <laughs>